that, well, if you please take your Bibles and turn with me now. At this time, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Now, this morning, we're going to be in verses 1 through 14. Uh, we're continuing our message series on Jesus in Jerusalem. Uh, we are looking at Jesus' final week in Jerusalem before he went to the cross. And we've mentioned where right now we're in a section uh, of Scripture that is marked by a series of contrasts and conflicts. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the contrast between what you say and what you do. Uh, last week, we looked at the contrast between the kingdom taken and the kingdom given. And uh, the contrast today is between the many who are invited and the few who are chosen. So we're in Matthew 22 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14, but I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3 as we get started. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Matthew 22, beginning with verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we uh, look at these verses and the verses following, as we look into your word this morning, Lord, we have some, uh, some challenging verses ahead of us. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would just open our hearts uh, to allow your Holy Spirit to teach us through your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, a question we often wonder about when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to salvation, is why do some people respond to the gospel while others don't? Why do some people, uh, when they hear the good news of Jesus Christ, why do some people put their faith in Christ while others do not? We sometimes wonder, are, are the people who put their faith in Christ somehow better than those who do not? Did they somehow have better natures or, or less sin to overcome? And we, we know that can't be the reason because the Bible tells us we've all sinned, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners, so he certainly did not have less sin than others, and yet he came to faith in Christ. The invitation of the gospel goes out to everyone. It goes out to all. So why is it that some believe while others do not? And that's the question that Jesus explores and answers in today's parable. This is the parable of the wedding banquet. This is now the third parable that Jesus has told in a row, all three directed against the religious leaders. In the first parable, he accused them of hypocrisy because they did not repent and believe when he came. In the second parable, the one we looked at last week, he told them that because of these things, God was going to take away the kingdom from them and give it to others. And now in this third parable, he warns them that although many are invited into God's kingdom, although they have been invited into God's kingdom, although many are invited, few are chosen. The first part of the parable focuses on those who refuse to come. The second part of the parable focuses on those who do come. And then at the end of the passage, Jesus gives us the meaning of the parable. Uh, there's an outline in your worship guide this morning that outlines all three of those sections for you. I encourage you to take that out. 
uh, just to follow along. Jot down some notes as we go along too, if you would like. But let's look now at the parable of the wedding banquet uh, together. The first part of the parable focuses on those who refuse to come. Those who refuse to come. And here we see the king makes repeated invitations. Repeated invitations, but the guests refuse to come. Look at verses 1 through 4 with me. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So this is a typical parable of the kingdom. We've seen these before, right? Where Jesus begins by saying the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. And then what does he do? He tells us a story to teach us something about the kingdom. And in this particular story, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepares a wedding banquet for his son, but the guests refuse to come. That's what the kingdom is like. Now, this story is remarkable for several reasons. First of all, notice who does the inviting. It's the king. The king is inviting people to come to the wedding. It is a great honor to be invited by the king. Secondly, the occasion is momentous. It is the wedding of the king's son. Folks, it doesn't get much more important than that. The king's son is getting married. You are invited. And then thirdly, none of the guests respond. None of them. They all refuse to come. Can you imagine inviting a whole bunch of people to your wedding and you get there and no one comes? There's nobody there, just you and the bride, and hopefully the pastor made it, but, and maybe his family, but the guests, they're not there. I mean, you'd understand if a few said, well, we can't make it, we have an obligation, we're out of town. But everyone, put yourself in the place of the guests now. Have you ever turned down a free meal? I, I really try not to do that, okay? I try not to turn down any free meals, okay? But you know what? Here, you're not being invited to a funeral or a lecture, although I do hope you attend funerals when you can, especially those within your church family and church members. But you're being invited to a wedding. You're being invited to a party, a feast. And every single person refused. And you say, well, what's going on here? Well, once again, the different parts of this parable relate to different things. It's pretty easy to put it together, right? The, the king in the parable represents God. That's pretty easy, right? The son represents Jesus. That's pretty easy. The wedding banquet represents the joy of entering God's kingdom, the, the feast, the wedding feast of the lamb. The servants represent those who go out and share the gospel uh, with other people. The invited guests who refuse to come represent those who refuse to respond to the gospel. I want you to notice also the king makes repeated invitations. He doesn't cut them all off after one try, does he? He sends his servants out. They say no. He sends more servants out. He sends more out. He says, hey, the banquet's ready. The food's prepared. I've got the best steaks in town. 
The tables and chairs, they're all set up. The whole place is decorated. Everything is ready. I'm just missing one thing, you. So he says, come. Come to the banquet. Because you see, God in his grace gives us multiple opportunities to respond to the gospel. How many of those opportunities will we refuse? Will we be like these guests and refuse all of them? Why didn't the guests come? That's the question that everyone should be asking as they hear this parable. Why didn't they come? Well, why don't we come when God calls us? Why do so many refuse God's call in the gospel? The phrase that is translated refuse to come here in the parable is a phrase that literally says this, they wanted not to come. They wanted not to come. In other words, their will, their heart, everything in them was set against it. Why didn't they come? They did not want to. They did not want to be a part of all the good things that God had prepared for them. God has prepared a beautiful, heavenly feast for you and for me. He makes repeated invitations. How will you respond? Well, in the parable, we see that the invited guests make all sorts of excuses, right? We see that next, verses 5 and 6. It says, but they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. So the guests pay no attention to these repeated invitations. Instead, they, they make all these excuses. One's, oh, i got to get to my field. Oh, my business needs tending to. I mean, doesn't that sound exactly like the same excuses people make today when someone tells them about Jesus and the gospel? I'm too busy. Maybe someday I've got other things to do. It's just not that important to me. The phrase that is translated paid no attention here in the parable comes from a word that means to have no care, no concern, to be neglectful. The guests are neglectful of the king's invitation. They are more concerned about their own lives than attending the banquet for the king's son. And then, did you notice some of them even get violent? You see that? They're hostile to the servants. They seize them, they mistreat them, they kill some of them. And this also is true even today. When the gospel goes out, you know, some people just ignore the gospel and go away. They say, that's okay, that's your thing. I don't want anything to do with it. But others, what do they do? They get hostile. They get angry. They actively persecute those who share the gospel. At this point in the parable, we should all be understanding to refuse the king's invitation was a great insult. And therefore, how much worse for us to refuse an invitation from God? The king makes repeated invitations. The guests make repeated refusals. Like so many people today, they had no respect for the king. They had no fear of the king. They were not interested. They just didn't care. Now, unfortunately for them, they still had to deal with the king, right? Look at verse 7. The king was enraged. 
He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The king was rightly enraged at all this. He executed judgment on the offenders. Not only had they mistreated and killed his servants, they had also dishonored him. They had disrespected his son. He prepared a beautiful banquet for them. They snubbed his invitation. They put their own priorities and interests first over coming to the wedding banquet and sharing in the joy of the king and his son. And it's the same way when we snub God's invitation given to us in the gospel, we open ourselves to God's judgment. God, in his grace, makes repeated invitations, but the day will come when the invitation is rescinded and those who refuse to come will face judgment instead. So that's the first part of the parable. It's kind of a, kind of a downer. It's like, oh man, invitation go out, nobody responded. Nobody. But now we come to the second part of the parable, and this part focuses on those who do come. On those who do respond. Notice here now that the invitation is extended. It's extended to all who will come. Look at verses 8 through 10 with me now. Then the king said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets. They gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. When those who were originally invited did not come, the king sent his servants out to the street court and said, invite everybody, anyone you can find. I don't care if they're good, bad, or anything. Just get them, bring them here. And they do, and now the wedding hall is filled with guests. Now, in the original context of the parable, this refers to uh, very similar to what we saw in the parable of the tenants last week. Remember what we saw last week? Jesus came to the Jewish people first, but when they did not receive him as Messiah, then the gospel went out to the Gentiles instead. But I want you to notice a, a couple of things from this part of the parable. Notice the king says, those I invited did not deserve to come. In truth, when it comes to God's kingdom, Let's face it, none of us deserve to come, right? We are all sinners who've broken God's laws. None of us deserve to come. But you see, when it comes to God's kingdom, the worthy are those who realize they are not worthy. I'm not worthy, and so I come to Jesus. Notice, they gather everyone they can find, both good and bad. You know what that means? It means it doesn't matter if you're a sinner this morning. It doesn't matter if you would consider yourself one of the bad ones. Jesus came to save sinners. And then I want you to notice that the wedding hall was filled with guests. Here's something I'll guarantee you. Jesus will be glorified. He will be honored as God's son. There will be people in heaven to bring glory to God in Jesus. And so they gather everyone, good and bad, sinners all, and you know what? That's how we come. We come to Jesus as we are, but the Bible tells us we don't stay that way. That Jesus not only saves us from the penalty of sin, that's when we're saved, right? But he also saves us from the power of sin. The power of sin as we grow in our faith. 
And that's illustrated for us in this next part of the parable, the man with no wedding clothes, okay? Look, look at this with me now, verses uh, 11 through 13. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is the most difficult part of the parable to understand. It's also the most disturbing. It's a very disturbing image there, isn't it? It's meant to be disturbing. Jesus is trying to get under our skin and into our hearts. And you read those verses, you go, well, wait, wait a minute. How, how did this guy get in if he didn't have any wedding clothes? And why was he thrown out? I mean, if this represents the kingdom, if this represents heaven, does that mean we could get thrown out of heaven? Well, the answer to that first question, how did he get into heaven, is this. He didn't. Okay? He didn't get into heaven. Remember, this is a parable. It's a story. Not everything in the parable is meant to line up with reality. Parables, they tell a story. They're meant to surprise us or even to shock us into grasping important spiritual truths. And the idea here is this, is if someone could get into heaven without Jesus, I mean, if that were even possible, if someone could get into heaven without Jesus... They couldn't stay there. So in the parable, the king comes out. He inspects the guests. We'll stand before God's judgment, won't we? He looks over them attentively. He examines them. That's when he notices the man with no wedding clothes. And notice he approaches them gently at first. Friend, how did you get in here without the wedding clothes? The man's speechless. He's got nothing to say. And the Bible tells us that when God confronts us with our sins on the day of judgment, we will also be speechless. God's light will expose our darkness. There will be no excuses, no bargaining, no negotiations before God's throne. And so the man with no wedding clothes is a warning to us and a reminder that not all who seem to come to God, not all who profess to come to Christ, truly believe. That's interesting. In the Bible, filthy clothing in the Bible is often used as a symbol for sin, right? We, we read that earlier in Zechariah. A clean clothing is a symbol for righteousness. You know, God took off Zechariah's dirty clothing representing his sin, and he put clean clothing on him, righteousness. We read this in Revelation chapter 19 about uh, the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's, a, it's certainly a, a follow-up to the parable of the wedding banquet. Here we find the heavenly wedding banquet. It's a, a long passage, but let me read it all to you. It's, a, it's magnificent. You know, John has this vision. He says, and then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come 
and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. And then we read in Revelation twenty-two fourteen, just a few chapters later, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. And so the wedding clothes in the parable are a symbol of the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God does two things. Two things for you when it comes to righteousness. First of all, he gives to you the perfect righteousness of Jesus. He just gives that to you. Jesus is perfect righteousness. God says, I'm going to take Jesus' righteousness and I'm going to put it on you. I'm going to dress you in Jesus' righteousness. And so when God looks on you and me, when our faith is in Christ, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' righteousness. We call this the imputed. There's a fancy word for you this morning. The imputed righteousness of Christ. Uh, it simply means it's not your righteousness, it's Jesus's. But God treats you as though it was your own. It's beautiful. That's the first thing God does when you put your faith in Christ, when it comes to righteousness. And then God does something else. He not only gives you Jesus's righteousness, but now he also begins to make you righteous yourself. He gives you the Holy Spirit, and he helps you to grow in righteousness as a believer. We call this the imparted righteousness of Christ. So the imputed righteousness of Christ is Jesus' perfect righteousness that is reckoned to your life, to your account. The imparted righteousness of Christ is Jesus' righteousness as it begins to work its way into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Understanding this now, what was wrong with the man who tried to enter the wedding banquet without any wedding clothes? Simply this. He thought his own clothes were good enough. He thought he didn't have to change. He thought he didn't need Jesus and the righteousness that Jesus could give him. He trusted in his own righteousness instead of Jesus' righteousness. You know, we sometimes sing that song, Cornerstone in Church. It's really a, a reworking of another hymn that we sing in church also on Christ the Solid Rock. But the lyrics apply so well to our passage here today. You'll recognize them, many of you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. All other ground is is shifting sand. And so the man without the wedding clothes serves as a warning to each one of us to examine yourself this morning. The Bible tells you to do that, to examine yourself to see, are you really in the faith? 
Are you trusting in Jesus' righteousness or are you trusting in your own good works? Because only those who put their trust in Jesus will be saved. So that's the parable, right? You have first part of the parable, those who refuse to come. Second part of the parable, those who do come. And now finally Jesus gives us the meaning of the parable and he does it in one short, memorable statement. Look at verse 14 with me now. For many are invited, but few are chosen. For many are invited, but few are chosen. So two parts to Jesus' explanation. The first part is that many are invited, right? The Bible says we're all invited. The gospel call goes out to everyone. The Bible says whosoever will, whosoever wishes may come. Everyone. We read in Revelation 22, 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. That's the first part. Many are invited. But the second part is this. Few are chosen. In other words, the invitation goes out to all, but not everyone who is invited responds. Which brings us back to our original question, right? Why is that? Why do some people respond while others do not? And the Bible tells us, just like those people in the first part of the parable, when everyone refused to come, everyone, the Bible says we're like that. None of us can respond on our own. Jesus says in John 6, 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Remember the guests in the first part of the parable? Jesus said they wanted not to come. Their wills were set against him. And that's all of us outside of God. Our wills are set against God. We don't want to come. And so when the gospel invitation comes, what do we do? We make all sorts of excuses. We put our own plans and priorities first. Some of us even get hostile towards those who are sharing the good news with us. Our wills are set against God, and so God needs to draw us to himself. That's what Jesus says here in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then Jesus also says this in John 6, 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So here we learn, first of all, no one can come to God unless God draws them. And then all that God, God the Father draws to Jesus will come to him. Everyone. And Jesus will never drive away a single person who comes to him. And then Jesus also said this in John 15, 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Put it all together. This is what Jesus is saying. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. We're all like those original guests. Our hearts are hardened. We refuse to come. No one can come unless the Father draws him, but everyone whom the Father draws will come. We did not choose him. He chose us. Many are invited but few are chosen. Raises another question, doesn't it? How, doesn't it? How many has God chosen for salvation? 
It's kind of a tricky question to answer because sometimes some passages in the Bible seem to say that only a few will be saved, right? The narrow path, the narrow door. Even this one, many are invited, few are chosen. But then other parts seem to say that a great number will be saved. We even saw this in the same parable. The wedding, the wedding hall was filled with guests. So as you compare all those various passages together, I believe the best way to understand it all is simply this, is that compared to the many who are invited, only a few are chosen. Compared to the many, it's only a few. But those few will still be a great multitude of believers The wedding hall will be full of guests. There are many who will be saved, many who will bring great glory and honor to Jesus for all of eternity, beginning with the great wedding feast of the Lamb. So this is the meaning of the parable. The gospel call goes out to everyone. No one is excluded. There's a paradox here. Whosoever will may come, but no one comes unless the Father draws them. We love God because he first loved us. We did not choose Jesus, but he chose us. No one can go to heaven without first receiving the righteousness that only Jesus can give. And it's hard to believe, but there are people, maybe here today, people who would never turn down a free meal, and yet they will turn down the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. They will miss out on the wedding feast of the Lamb. They will miss out on heaven. Why? All because they did not want to come. And if that's you this morning, you need to cry out to God to save you. You need to ask him to open your blind eyes. You need to ask him to overcome your stubborn heart and draw you to Christ so that you may be saved. And if you are saved this morning... Please know this, it's not because you are somehow better than others or that you had less sin to overcome. The Bible says you're saved this morning because God chose you. We call this the doctrine of election. The Bible says God chose you before you were born. It goes back even further than that. God says, I chose you before I even created the world. The doctrine of election, it's not an easy one for us to understand, is it? But the Bible teaches it in many places and in many ways. I like the way Charles Spurgeon explains it. I've I've actually printed that out and put it on the bottom of your outline this morning if you want to take a look at it, but I'll read it to you. Spurgeon said this, I believe the doctrine of election because I'm quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I'm sure he chose me before I was born, or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. And so we should give God all the glory for our salvation. We could not save ourselves, so God sent Jesus to save us. Our hearts were hardened against God, and so God softened our hearts. He drew us to himself. You should be humble and grateful to God for your salvation. Just like Spurgeon, you might say, well, why why would God choose me? No reason. No reason other than that he loves you. Many are invited, 
but few are chosen. Give God the glory for your salvation this morning. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, these are difficult teachings. Uh, there's something in us that just seems to fight back against it, and yet, Lord, your word is so clear. And so, Lord, humble us today. Fill us with thanksgiving for the wonderful salvation you have brought us in Jesus Christ. We don't understand it all, but, Lord, we don't need to. We just need to know that Jesus died for us, that when we come to you, when we respond to that invitation, that you will save us. You have never turned anyone away who has come to you for salvation. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.